Let's pray. Dear Father, I am thankful for 2 Peter 1. It contains really wild promises that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus. That there is a possibility for us, there are promises that say we will never fall, that we can be kept from being ineffective and unfruitful. And that in this way, we will be provided an entrance, richly provided an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to slow down and hear these promises and let them wash over us and um, dig deep so that we would carry them with us throughout the week. We live in a world where all kinds of promises are being made to us all the time, but none like this, none are so good as this, um, and none are good at keeping promises like you are good at keeping promises. And so would you encourage us this morning? Would you help us? Uh, We thank you for your love for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today is September 12th. We are about three quarters of the way through the year. And so this seems like an opportune time to revisit our New Year's resolutions for 2021, right? What are the things that you decided that you would do on January 1st for the year? Let's talk about them and see how we are doing. I mean, you know, New Year's resolutions, there's always fits and starts. Maybe you fell off the bandwagon, but by now you should have uh, worked out all the kinks. You should be well on your way to reading 50 books, learning two languages, honing your six packs and crocheting custom sweaters for all your friends. Like those are the things that should all be happening by now. Um, That is not my experience of the year. Maybe you are good at New Year's resolutions. There is maybe one or two of you that are just really ready to talk about it, but I am terrible at New Year's resolutions. I make them, but I don't keep them. I was telling Maggie I was going to talk about being bad at keeping resolutions, and she said, you are so bad, and you can quote me on that. And so I quoted her. She confirms I am terrible at New Year's resolutions. The thing is, though, I still love the idea of New Year's. I haven't grown cynical about it. It brings me a lot of hope for the next year, a lot of laughter about the previous year. For years, every New Year's, Maggie and I have a late dinner together, reflecting on the year before, looking ahead to the year upcoming. And each year, without fail, we remember that we are terrible at keeping our own resolutions, but that God is exceptionally good at keeping his. He is so good at it. He keeps his promises. And so what's wild is that contrary to my inability to keep resolutions, I keep growing year on year. Every year, miraculously, I mature. I soften, I strengthen, I bear fruit, rarely in the way that I planned to, rarely in the way I expected to grow, sometimes in ways I actually didn't want to grow. I wish that I had not had to go through that, but I always grow because God is the God of life. He is a God of growth. In Christ, we are new creation and we can't help but grow. The church is a people who grow. It is in our resurrected nature. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. 
For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And so we grow, we mature, we improve, we bear fruit, we multiply, we flourish. Even though it might not look like it on the outside, according to the world's ideas of flourishing, we are truly growing. In Citizens Communities this week, we read from 1 John 3. We were talking about family, and in 1 John 3, verses 2 through 3, it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so we have been changed we will be changed, and that motivates us to pursue change now, right? We purify ourselves as he is pure. If your hope is in the reality that you are a child of God, it motivates you to pursue purity, to become what we are, to believe away unbelief, and to legit become better people, marked more and more by the fruit of the Spirit. And so year on year, we are more loving more peaceful, more joyful, more patient, more kind, more gentle, more self-controlled, more trustworthy, more marked by goodness. Is that true of you as you reflect on the year? Even if you missed out on your New Year's resolutions, like you, you abandoned learning a language a long time ago, but have you grown in peacefulness? Have you grown in patience? Please let that be true. For me, I long to be marked by the fruit of the Spirit. Life would be so much more wonderful if I was marked on a daily, regular basis by the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a message of change and flourishing will really resonate with our culture. Um, It will be attractive. People are attracted to a gospel that makes them better people that addresses the brokenness that they experience every day, that gives them tools to fight guilt and shame and struggle. Very few people deep down are happy with who they are, and so they want to change, and the gospel offers change. But gospel change will also confuse them apart from Christ, apart from grace. Um, I'm reminded of the story of Simon the magician in the book of Acts who is so enamored by the gospel and enamored by the apostles that he offers, he thought he could buy the Holy Spirit off the apostles. Can I, can I pay for this so I can heal people? And he was rebuked. You cannot buy healing. You cannot buy spiritual growth. You can't own it or control it. With gospel change, it's not as much that I change as I am being changed. I am passively receiving change. And there's a difference there. There are lots of differences between Christian growth and non-Christian growth. Christian growth pursues different goals. Uh, It pursues uh, different timelines. It utilizes different means. Uh, One important difference that I wanna hone in on this morning is that with Christian growth, I am not my own gardener. I am not in charge of my growth. I wish that I was. If I'm honest with you, I have killer plans for myself. I mean, really, like if you, I have, I have years of moleskins with these New Year's resolutions or with these plans, with these ideas. Maggie knows how good my resolutions are in theory. CJ knows how good they are in theory. Many of you have heard my resolutions. They're fantastic. But I am not my own gardener. I'm not in control. 
neither am I the gardener of this church, right? CJ and I have great plans for citizens. Uh, We have had great plans for seven years. They've been pretty good plans. We've had people say, this is a great, these are great ideas, guys. Um, I was uh, thinking not to toot our own horn, but we regularly have people asking if they can use our language and materials. Like just throughout the year, somebody's like, hey, this, this sounds so great. Can I use it? And the reason I'm not tooting my own horn is because our church is still very tiny. Like, you know, so it's like, you can use it if you want. You know, it's sort of like, maybe it'll work for you. It's be great. Um, <laughs> it just hasn't worked for me. Or really, like, it hasn't worked in the way that I expected it to. But I'm not the gardener of this church. I'm not in control. I am a servant of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Paul is talking, he's sort of reflecting this himself. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I am not the gardener of my own life. I am not the gardener of this church. And I'm not even the vine. I'm just a branch. John 15, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Honestly, if I'm honest with you, um, and I want to be, some of my attempts at growth don't bear fruit because they are vineless attempts, right? I'm attempting outside of the vine, attempting to grow without Jesus. But if I'm gracious to myself, though many failed resolutions aren't a consequence of sin or vainglory necessarily, they just don't bear fruit simply because of the thorns of life, right? Life is hard. And so on January 1st, I have no idea what is upcoming. And so I can make lots of plans, but who knows what will come? There are thorns in my soul. There are thorns in my relationships. There are thorns in my circumstances. Hannah Anderson writes, we must accept the fact that our garden will not be pristine. Like the world around us, it will be full of both blessing and curse, both life and death. We can accept that our efforts are not enough. Shortly after promising fruit to all those who abide in him in John 15, Jesus gives another not so great promise. He says in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. And yet we still grow every year. I can look back and see the faithfulness of God and the ways that he is growing me, cultivating me. We must grow. John 15, again, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And so fruit is required. It is necessary that we be a church that grows. Uh, James 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And that's just the reality of a, if, there's a, if there is a branch that has no fruit, it's not alive. It's not doing what it should do. But that brings up this tension here, right? So I must grow. If I don't grow, if I don't bear fruit, that, fruit then I risk being cut off. That's what Jesus says. But I'm also not the gardener. I'm not in control of my own growth. And so how can I be held accountable for growth? What do I do? And this is again where the unique nature of Christian growth shines. John 15 verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. What does the branch have to do to bear fruit? Abide. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This can be a frustrating passage for resolution people, right? For performance people, for rule people, because what does abide mean? I can't make a resolution that really like fits that. Uh, Literally, abide just means to remain. To abide in Jesus is to make Jesus your abode, right? Your home. This is how we grow and bear fruit. All the branch has to do is stay on the vine. It's the only thing the branch needs to do to grow and bear fruit. Stay on the vine. But again, that is hard to turn into a resolution to say in 2022, I want to abide more in Jesus. Like, what is that going to look like? How do we pursue growth as individuals and as a church? Growth in maturity, growth in vitality, growth numerically. 2 Peter 1, for me, is such a crucial passage for Christian growth on the mechanics of Christian growth, the how. Because here the apostle both emphasizes the grace of growth, that we are not our own gardener, that all growth is God's gift, while also stressing the behaviors of abiding. What what does it mean? What does it look like to make my home in Jesus and invite growth? And so let's walk through this. The first thing to notice in this passage, as I prayed earlier, is the shockingly huge promises that it contains. Verse 1-3, his divine power has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. In verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That is a tremendous statement. They're not really even promises. They're almost just statements of fact that this is how the universe works. This is how the kingdom works. Peter couldn't speak any more clearly. You have been given everything you need, everything you need for life and godliness, everything. Not, I will do this for you. It's actually already been done. It's yours right now. There is nothing you need for life that you have not been given by God's power. Have you ever noticed how so many of the world's strategies for growth require you to buy something? And that is so tragic because it limits personal growth to people with means. And God is not like that. The only people who can flourish in that kind of world are wealthy people, are skilled people, are knowledgeable people, but that's not the way the kingdom is. Just a month ago, lots of embarrassing things I'm sharing with you, but just a month ago, I bought a new planner. The monk manual is designed to bring the timeless wisdom of monastic living into your everyday life. I am embarrassed telling you that. (laughs) I think that What I need is to buy something, that that will help my life. 
but because God is both just and merciful. Gospel growth doesn't require that you buy anything at all. It is free on principle. You don't need an education or a pedigree or a resume. Isaiah 55 is such a beautiful verse. Come, everyone who thirsts. What is the requirement? That you're thirsty. Come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Don't waste your money. You don't need money in the kingdom. In Jesus, you have everything you need for life and godliness. And it is a strategy of the devil to convince you that you need something else to flourish extra stuff, extra time, better plans, better relationships. It is a lie that you need to be more than you are. You don't need to be more than you are because you already have everything you need. Namely, you have Jesus. You have the spirit residing in you. He dwells in you. You only need to want to dwell in him. Just to reiterate this wild promise, Peter restates it at the end. He says, if you have these qualities in increasing measure, you will never fall. You will be 100% effective and fruitful in all the things that God cares about. Maybe not the things that you care about, maybe not your resolutions, but in the things that he cares about, you will be 100% effective and fruitful. Man, let's read this slowly and ask ourselves, is this really true? Verse 8, verse 10, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Never fall. This is not how I feel most of the time. And I believe in Jesus. I trust him for salvation. I attend church. I read my Bible. But there is still a lot of stuff that I lack for life and godliness. I fall a lot I feel ineffective and unfruitful frequently. And so how can Peter say we've been given all things? And so if we read on, we've been given all things through the knowledge of him. That's how we've been given. You've been given all things through the knowledge of him, through Christ, who called us to his own glory and excellence. And so we have everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ. And this is really just another way of saying, it's Peter's way of saying what Paul always says, that we are saved by grace through faith. Through faith, through believing, we are saved. And that's not just true on the first day of salvation, it's true every day. Colossians 2, 6, as you have received Christ, so walk in him. So the same way you came into the faith is the way you continue in the faith. By grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we are given all, let's keep reading, we are given all things through the knowledge of Christ who called us to his own glory and excellence. It's not our doing, but by his glory and excellence. And this is how he granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, through the promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so again, this is 
exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 2, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not of works. It is through faith that we are granted God's precious and very great promises. As we continue to read, notice where Peter goes from here. He says, for this reason, for this very reason, because we receive promises by grace through faith in Jesus, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. This sounds to me like a heavy list of resolutions. And for many years, this list would just leave me discouraged. So, you know, you get to the end and there's a great promise that says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. And I'm like, of course I'm not going to be ineffective, right? Um, If I, you know, all I have to do is get some virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. That's all. And then you'll have everything you need, right? But that's not what Peter is saying, and that's not the gospel, The gospel is the good news that though we have rebelled against the God of the universe, he is merciful and gracious. And this God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for their sins on on our behalf, that all who believe, who just believe, will be forgiven and given eternal life in Jesus. The gospel is salvation by grace through faith in Christ, not of works. Just believe. And Peter, with this long list and with this passage, is just confirming this blessedly good news. He's following the logic. He's saying to himself, and he's saying to us, so if we are saved by grace through faith, if it's through faith that we have everything we need for life and godliness, if it's through faith that we have the guarantee of heaven to come and faithfulness here, if all it takes is abiding in Jesus, remaining with him and not leaving him, if that's the way of salvation, doesn't it make sense to shape our entire lives around building, strengthening, and supporting faith? If that's what I need, if that kernel of uh, faith is what I need, then I'm going to support and protect and strengthen that. That's why Peter says, supplement your faith. That's what resolutions are about. That's what spiritual rhythms are about. That's what devotion is, the Christian life is, the call to growth. It's about guarding and building my faith in Christ and the gospel. It's making sure that at the end of my life, I still believe in Jesus. I still am compelled by Christ. I still am captured by him and his beauty and glory. And so I I don't want to lose that. And I know how quickly and how easily I can lose that. In my week, it just, it just flitters away. And so I want to build my life in a way that protects and guards and holds on to it. Growth comes from increased faith in God's promises. And a failure to grow is the result of a stagnant and diminishing faith. That's the implication of verse nine. It says, whoever lacks these qualities... So when I, when I don't display these qualities, I am so nearsighted that I am blind, having forgotten that I was cleansed from my former sins. And so if I feel that I'm ineffective or unfruitful, 
It's because I'm nearsighted. I, I can see only what's close. I can't see what's far away. I've forgotten what Jesus has done. I've forgotten the cross. I've forgotten the resurrection. I'm failing to remember that I was cleansed from my former sins. I'm failing to remember that I've been adopted into God's family, that I've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, I do need increasing faith because increasing virtue because I need faith. That's why I need virtue, because I want faith. I need increased knowledge. I need increased self-control. I want steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. For if these qualities are mine and are increasing, they will keep me abiding in Christ, which will keep me from being ineffective. I will bear much fruit. If salvation is by grace through faith, if faith in Christ is what guarantees our fruitfulness, then let me shape my life around supporting faith. Um, James 2, I read earlier that faith without works is dead. Um, you can read that definitely in a very um, stern way. But I think there can be a way to read it that's just really frank. It's like, man, faith without works is dead. Like, you're a dead man without it. Like, you don't have any hope. Like, you, you need works. You need virtue. You need knowledge. You, faith doesn't stand a chance apart from that. And so let me shape my life around supporting faith. That's his conclusion, Peter. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. But in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Peter, again, is holding together grace and action, right? Be all the more diligent to confirm. That's our action, but we're confirming God's call, God's election, how beautiful and right that growth is both by grace through faith while also involving our active participation. Richard Lovelace is a church historian from the 20th century. Um, he wrote a book called The Dynamics of Spiritual Life in the Evangelical Theology of Renewal where he goes and looks at revivals and sort of tries to understand them. And in his study on church renewal, he said that there are four preconditions for personal renewal, for growth. He says the aim of the minister, that's me, this should be my goal, should be to encourage in every parishioner, that's you guys, an intelligent response to faith, laying claim to the provisions of Christ's redemptive work, a daily standing on four platforms, that you are accepted, you are delivered, you are not alone and you have authority. That that needs to be my goal. If I want to encourage you in renewal, if I want to support you in renewal, my prayer is that you would wake up standing on the platform of God's work on your behalf, that you are forgiven, you are accepted, you are delivered, you are not alone and you have authority. 
This is Peter's call. In Jesus, you have been given everything you need for life and godliness. All these things are yours. In Christ, you are accepted into God's family. You belong. In Christ, you are delivered from death and the fear of death. In Christ, you are not alone. Christ's spirit is always with you and you have the body of Christ to walk through life with. And in Christ, you have authority over the powers of darkness. You have an ability to pursue growth, to abide in Jesus, to speak against Satan, to do good works. If you and I will daily stand on these four platforms, we will grow, we will flourish, we will bear fruit, and we will bear witness to those around us. The beauty of keeping faith central to Christian growth is that it keeps grace central too. And growth becomes less about the promises that we make to God and more about the promises that he has made to us. That that's what growth is. It is about God's promises made to us. The church is a people who grow, a people who strive, a people who aim, who resolve, who do hard things, not because we think highly of ourselves, but because we think highly of God. We have been perfectly loved and perfect love drives out fear. And so we can throw ourselves at obedience. We can throw ourselves at growth. We can make wild resolutions and we may not get there, but we know that God will bear the fruit of the spirit in our life. Because we are a people who believe in the promises of God, we are a people who grow. As we finish What are these precious and very great promises? Verse four, it's such an awkward phrase. It's sort of meant to trip you up, right? Verse four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. What are they? What are the promises that you need to remember this morning? That maybe you've become nearsighted, you've forgotten Is it the promise of forgiveness that you have been forgiven of your sins? Is it the promise of adoption that you are not alone, that you are, you have been permanently adopted. You permanently belong in the family of God. Is it the promise of provision that you will never be without? You will never lack for anything. Is it the promise of power? Maybe you grew up in a way that just totally disempowered you Maybe you think poorly of yourself and you need to remember that you have power in the spirit in Christ. There's the promise of healing, the promise of friends and family, a hundredfold to replace all that you might have lost. The promise of inheritance that even if you lose lose stuff today, there is an an inheritance ahead for you that is unshakable. The promise of presence, the promise of rest, of love, of partaking in the divine nature, union with God, all these promises and more are yours through faith, by grace through faith. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your faith, confirm your calling and election. Do not take faith lightly, guard it, feed it, share it with others. If you are not a person of Christian faith, What precious and very great promises are you living for? 
Everyone and everything makes promises to us. Faith is, is the reason that human beings do what they do. That we, I'm following whatever I think is making the most compelling promise to me in the moment. And so my job promises me stuff. Marriage promises you stuff. Parenting, education, exercise, bank accounts, Amazon, politics, technology, all of that. They're, they're, they're promising me something. That's why I make New Year's resolutions. It's because I want to win the best promise. But no one makes promises like God makes promises. You won't find a promise like the salvation of sinners by grace through faith. No one but him is promising to wash away my sin, to make me his, to clothe me with his righteousness, to empower me, to save me, to secure an eternal future. No one makes promises like God makes promises, and no one keeps promises like he does. No one else can keep promises like this. He keeps all his resolutions, and so it doesn't really matter if I don't keep mine. I'm okay with that. All I need to do is to believe in Christ, to abide in him, to make my home in Jesus. How are you putting yourself in the way of God's promises? How are you abiding in Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Father, forgive me for all the times that I substitute growth in Jesus with buying stuff. That rather than remembering the gospel doing the challenging work of supplementing my faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. All that stuff is free, but it's, it's hard. <laughs> and so forgive me for when I have forgotten the promise that I have everything I need for life and godliness in Jesus. Help us to be a people who remember and stand on the platform of the gospel that wake up every morning remembering that we are pardoned, that we are accepted, that we are not alone, and that we have authority. And would we be a people who is marked by grace and faith? And would you help us to bear fruit, spiritual fruit, that we would be a church that is marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And from that, would you draw all, people, all kinds of people to yourself as they are introduced to Jesus and know that like, the gospel is for them too, that they don't have to have money, they don't have to have pedigree, they don't have to have an upbringing of any kind, that if they are thirsty, come and drink. Come, buy, and eat money or wine without price. We love you. We need you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.